this drug enforcement agency officer showed up unannounced on this ranch down in South Texas and told the old rancher that he was there to inspect his ranch to see if he was growing any illegal drugs. And the old rancher said, well, look around all you want. Just don't go over that fence into that pasture over there. At which point that DEA officer kind of bowed up, reached into his back pocket and pulled out a badge. said, do you see this badge? Do you see this badge? This badge represents the authority of the federal government. This badge says I can go wherever I want, whenever I want, no questions asked, no answers given. You understand me? Do you see this badge? And the old rancher said, fine. Just turned around and went to his shores. A few moments later, he heard screaming from the other side of that fence. And there was that oh, DEA officer running for his life being chased by a huge Santa Gertrudis bull. The old rancher ran to the fence and shouted, show him your badge, show him your badge. <laughs> you see, establishing authority is critical. The first thing to know is who is first. And there could be no better way to start a new year than to consider the Bible's answer. So for this month of January, we're going to be looking in our Bibles at this whole idea of what the Bible says about who and what comes first. And we couldn't start at a better place than Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. From among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So there was this chieftain who wanted a new throne. They brought him one, but he did not like it. It didn't fit him well, and so he expressed his displeasure and ordered a new throne built. He took the old throne and put it up in the attic of his grass hut. Later, they brought him a new throne. He didn't like that either. He also stowed it up in the attic of his grass hut and ordered a new throne built. But he didn't like the third throne. He stowed it up in the attic of his grass hut and ordered all of the best craftsmen of his kingdom to work for six months to build the perfect new throne. The whole kingdom was nervous. When they finally unveiled it and put it in his hut, he looked and he smiled. He sat in it and everyone was relieved and they began to dance and to sing. And in the midst of the jubilation, the structural support of the hut was jostled. It collapsed. Those thrones came down out of the attic on top of the chief 
and killed him. And the moral of the story is, those who live in grass houses shouldn't stow thrones. I know that's a groaner, but it has a point. Because too many people are beginning their new year with too many thrones. And we need to deal with that tension. So I'm going to begin this morning with a question for you and for me. Do I live like I own a throne? I want to show you something kind of cool that my good friend Colby Hatchett, young son of Chris and Stacy, brought me. He went to the Mavericks game, and they have these foam number one fingers. Well, he peeled off the Mav at the top and the S at the bottom, and it says Rick, number one. <laughs> and he gave that to me. I don't know if it was because he wanted me to beat his dad in fantasy football or because I'm his favorite preacher or just because he's a brilliant and beautiful child. But anyway, <laughs> even though it's cute, the truth of the matter is, in some ways, it's a symbol for my biggest struggle this year. Where does Rick belong? You see, life is a daily choice of competing allegiances. And my struggle is not between good and evil. My struggle is between good and best, between the important and the imperative. Here's the deal. At no time this next year am I going to struggle with telling Christ to get completely out of my life. I am never going to say, Christ, you have no place in my life. My struggle is what place will he have? Or let me illustrate it this way. We've all seen this stand in the Olympics, right? you got your gold medal and your silver medal and your bronze medal. My struggle is not that I don't want Jesus to medal. I am very happy for Jesus to medal and to stand up in front of the public and be honored. It's just, I want this place. I'm very happy for Jesus to have the silver medal stand. But I want first place. On my best day, sometimes I'll tell Jesus to come up here and stand with me and we'll share the gold. Because I sometimes think his throne is really a throne pew. And we both sit on it and run the universe together. And you're a lot like me. Your problem is not that you're telling Jesus he has no place in your life. Your problem is that you've stowed a lot of thrones and have told Jesus to stand here. And when we do this, we are looking down on Jesus. Not like the atheist does, not like the secular skeptic does, but no, we're still looking down on Jesus. There's a very famous uh, statue sculpted by the Danish artist Bertolt Thorvaldsen. He was commissioned to do a statue of Christ. You see a picture of it there. You'll notice something interesting about it. When he initially molded the wet clay, the face of Jesus was looking up and out like a triumphant king. But that night, as he left his studio, a dense fog came in off the sea. And the wet clay loosened and the head dipped. And when he came to his studio the next morning, he saw that head looking down. He thought his embryonic masterpiece had been ruined. But the more he looked at it, the more he decided it was exactly 
how it needed to be. And he finished the statue with the head looking down. And here's why. He said, if you want to see the face of Christ, you need to get on your knees. If you want to see Christ, you need to be looking up, not looking down. Now, I think that was the motive behind this piece of subversive poetry that Paul wrote. It's hard to tell in your English translation, but verse 15 through 20 that we just read is clearly a song. It was one of the early hymns of the church, and it's a radical song. It's a subversive song. And it says, in essence, all other thrones are to be discarded. This song is a rebuke to every throne you've ever stowed. So we're going to take some time this morning to start a new year just to remember who Jesus is. That's okay, isn't it? If we just do a little Christology this morning, there's a good way to start a new year. Here's two things you will remember every day about Jesus. Number one, He is all Lord. Remember, heretics do not replace Christ. Every cult has a place for Jesus. What heretics do is reduce Christ. They don't deny Him, but they do dethrone Him. And Paul says, that's not the Christ we worship. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. He says, "For He is the image. Of the invisible God. That God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's saying that Jesus is fully God. And God is fully in Jesus. Now what does this mean? It means if you want to know God. If you want to pursue God. There is one and only one path. And it is the way of Jesus. Because he is all Lord. Do you remember the days of promise keepers? That amazing phenomenon back in the 90s? The great black Baptist pastor E.V. Hill, who's since gone on to be with the Lord. He was speaking at the Mile High Stadium of Vinton, Denver. 70,000 men were gathered. He was being interviewed by this TV reporter who couldn't understand or grasp it. He said to Dr. Hill... Why are 70,000 men going to meet for two days in Mile High Stadium? And E.V. Hill says, we're going to talk about Jesus. And the reporter said, is that all? And later, as he told the story, he chuckled. And E.V. Hill said, he just didn't know how much that is. He's not the first among equals. Paul says he's first. And there are no equals. Because he's all Lord. That's doctrine number one. Doctrine number two. He's Lord of all. Everything is connected to and dependent upon Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation. The idea is that all of creation fits and finds its being and meaning in him. Verse 16 from the message says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. Jesus didn't hit the start button on the universe and just withdraw. And here's the deal. We look back on 2009 and it was full of evil. 
earthquakes and tsunamis, wars and terrorist acts, crimes and violence and divorces. Did it seem like Jesus was in charge? Did it seem like Jesus was holding everything together? See, the presence of so much easel makes what Paul is saying hard to fathom. Paul is asking us to reimagine our world with Jesus on the throne. He's saying there's no neutral ground in the universe that every inch and every second has been claimed by Christ. Let's be more specific. He's saying, number one, all things are made by Him. Now, I'm going to offend the hippies among us, but you just need to know nature is not your mother. Nature owes its existence to Jesus, and nature knows its master. That's why when you read the Gospels, if Jesus wants fish to swim into a net, they do it. If he curses a fig tree, it dies. If he tells the winds and the waves to shut up, they do what they're told. Because nature knows its master. He's not just nature's source, he's nature's glue. He's the principle of cohesion holding all things together. He's the spiritual gravity that's keeping the cosmos from being chaos. Paul says if it wasn't for Jesus, all of matter and creation would just be falling and flying apart. Hebrews 1.3 says he sustains the universe by the mighty power of his command. Somehow in a way that we can't fathom... Paul is saying he's got it all in his hands, the whole world in his hands. Verse 16 from the today's English version says, God created the whole universe through him. Now watch the next two words. And for him. In other words, nature does not exist for its own sake. It exists to display the greatness of Christ. I want you to think about that a lot this year as you move among God's creation. Nature exists to remind you of how great Jesus is. Now, I think about this uh, every year for the last 20-something years. I've gone out to Malibu for the Pepperdine Lectureships, and every single year, Speaker after speaker gets up and says, boy, isn't this beautiful country, and look at this gorgeous ocean. And then one will always say, and I have to go back to Abilene and look at those ugly little mesquite trees. Well, what you need to remember is that the same Jesus that made that beautiful ocean made that little mesquite tree, and he made them both to explore his glory. So if you're putting down the little mesquite tree, you need to come forward for prayer after this service and repent, because you're putting down what Jesus made to show off his glory. He made it all from the great redwood to the littlest cactus to show and remind you of how awesome he is. Nature was made through him and nature was made for him. All things are made by him. All things are subject to him. We can trust his absolute adequacy because of his absolute authority. There's no sphere of existence over which Jesus is not sovereign. Paul says he's the Lord over every power and every ruler, every government, every authority, every throne. Even those currently in rebellion. Even those you can't see. Demons are subject to Christ. 
That's why in the Gospels they don't talk back. Not one time does a demon ever say to Jesus, you can't make me. They do what he told them to do. And Paul says someday they are going to all bow and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The church is subject to Christ. Paul says he is the head of the church, which is his body. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes elders or preachers or strong-armed members think they own the church. My very first year here, this is 20 years ago, I think I'm safe now to tell this story. This church was in a desperate situation with a debt problem. It was severe, severe. I'd only been here a few months, and a man made an appointment to come to see me. I had been told that he was perhaps the wealthiest man in the church. He was a sweet man, but he was upset. He was upset because we had started singing some of the newer songs that that weren't in his book, and he didn't like them. And he told me, I don't care if we sing those songs at Devo's, and if you want to sing them at retreats, that's fine. But he said, and I quote, I don't want to hear those songs in my church. I really think that was one of God's tests to determine whether or not he could trust me as a leader. And I gulped. I said a quick prayer. And then I said, my brother, I love you, but hear what I'm about to say. This is not your church. This church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. And you know what? He thanked me for that rebuke. And he went on to learn to like those songs. Now, I think some churches ought to get honest and put their real mission statement out on their marquee, keeping the Jones family happy for over 40 years. (laughs) Paul says the church belongs to Jesus. He is Lord over the demons. He is Lord over the church. He is Lord even over death. Death is subject to Jesus. You've heard me say before, I want to pattern my ministry after Christ, but there's one thing I don't do anything like Jesus, and that's funerals. I don't. Because every time Jesus went to a funeral, he just said, get up, funeral was over. I don't have that sermon. Paul said he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first to experience true resurrection life. And now that death must answer to Jesus, the future resurrections of all of us who are in Christ has been guaranteed. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. If we have hope in Christ only for this life, we're the most miserable people in the world. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest of those. Who will be raised to life again. Verse 18 from the message said. He's supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade. He's supreme in the end. That same verse in the New Century Version says. So in all things. Jesus has first place. So why do we need to stow so many thrones? Paul says everything's made by him. Everything is subject to Him. And all things are 
reconciled through him. For God was pleased through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, doesn't it follow if all things have to be reconciled through him, that means currently all things are estranged. That's one reason why last year was so hard for some of us. All things are not currently reconciled to God. That's why it's hard to imagine Jesus is in charge. But Paul says the entire universe is headed toward a dramatic renewal because of Jesus. Everything sin has fractured and marred is going to be made right again. It's going to be brought back into harmony with the divine intent. All evil is going to be destroyed because of the cosmic outworkings of his death. And all creation is going to be renewed because of the cosmic influence of His resurrection. This is a big story. And so in verse 20, Paul says, Through the Son then, God decided to bring the whole universe back to Himself. Now, here's your job assignment for 2010. To model to the world what God is doing through Christ. God is reconciling all things back to himself through Jesus. And the world should catch a glimpse of what God is doing by looking at us. Now how do we do that? I think at least two ways. One is through our corporate unity. There should be an undeniable An attractive oneness exhibited by any two people who have decided to make Christ first. But we've got to be honest, our track record in this hasn't been so great. People who claim that Christ is first have divided and split and fought and fussed. And you know why? Because we have thrones we shouldn't have. We make thrones out of our particular doctrinal interpretations. We make thrones out of the way we like to worship. We make thrones out of the words on a sign in front of a building. And the world looks at us and they don't get a glimpse of what God is doing in Jesus. Because all of our thrones are standing in the way of the message that Christ is first. So this year, when you meet anybody who is trying to live sold out for Christ, you've met an ally. Make sure they know that. And then second, I think we model what God is doing through Christ by making those personal, daily choices to dethrone all competing allegiances that's hard it demands constant vigilance and a willingness to regularly and ruthlessly check the attic and so let me close with a question this would be a good question for you to ask every day this year do I love anything That asks Christ to be second. 
You see, it's not enough, according to Paul, for Christ just to be present in your life. Christ must be preeminent. It is not right for us to continually in our prayers ask Christ to bless the life that looks down on Him. Where do you do that? Let me say again. For the great majority of people right now in this room, your struggle this year is not going to be the temptation to tell Jesus to get lost. You are going to make a place for Christ in your life. Your struggle is going to be, it's going to be this place. Something else is going to be here. For some of you, it's going to be your job. For some of you, it's going to be your hobby. For some of you moms, it's going to be your kids. You're going to get wrapped up in how they look and what their grade point average is. Because that reflects on you. For some of you, it's sports. And, and most of these are really good things. You know, Colt McCoy will tell you. His sophomore year after they lost two games in a row, he was in a funk. And he'll tell you, I realized God wasn't first in my life. Football was first. And I had to repent of that. Some years ago, I was called by a very... Well thought of Christian agency about joining their mission and leaving what I do. It didn't take me long to say, no, I'm not even interested. I didn't say I would pray. I didn't say I would fast. I just said, no. Later, I felt the Holy Spirit of God rebuke me. Why'd you say no so fast? Well, because I'm a preacher. And then it hit me. My struggle is to love preaching more than Christ. That I am tempted to find my identity in my image as preacher. Instead of Christ follower. So I repented. And I said, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Wherever you want me to do it. And he said, okay, then preach. And you know what's happened? A huge burden has been lifted because no longer do I get to elated or depressed by praise or criticism. Because my identity isn't, what do you think of me as a preacher? My identity is I am a servant of Christ. It's a new year. I think it's a good day to get rid of some stowed thrones. 
few years ago in New York City, a popular radio station, FM 106, had this contest. If you were the third caller, you were to tell them, what was the first thing you said this morning when you woke up? And so people would call in. This is FM 106. We'll give you $106. Tell us the first thing you said. Do I, did I burn the coffee? Oh, no, I'm late for work. Did I forget to put the dog out? And you hear cursing in the background, which tells you that they did. And people thought it was funny and cute, and it went on for some time. And then one morning, you're the third caller, FM 106. What's the first thing you said this morning? And a distinct Bronx accent said, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And after an awkward silence, the DJ said, Sorry, wrong number, and cut to a commercial. I want to be that guy. My first thought, my first words, my first motivation is Christ. Christ is first. There's different ways to do that. But one of the most important ways to make that a daily pursuit is regular worship. I'm going to ask you all to stand now. Let's just start our new year with a powerful time of putting Christ on the throne. There is love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness, you rose again victorious. Faithfulness none can deny, through the storm and through Christ who lives in me. You are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen, Jesus you are Lord. came to seek and save the lost. You paid it all upon the cross. You are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. You 
stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me, it is written, Christ is risen, Jesus you are Lord of all. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransom from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and praise Him, Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and praise Him, Lord of all. Remain standing. We're going to continue to worship. You know, for 2,000 years, another way Christians have publicly acknowledged that Christ is first just by being baptized. It be a great day for you to start a new year by making that decision. To come, put on Christ, and in your participation in His death and resurrection, you are publicly announcing to visible and invisible authorities that Christ is first. So you can come while we sing this next song. Hey, remember this. Christ is not asking for your permission to be first. He's already first. He's asking for your acknowledgement. Let's sing. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at His name. He is the wonderful counselor he is the mighty god he is the everlasting father he is the prince of peace at the name of jesus every knee shall bow at the name of jesus every tongue confess at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every knee shall bow at His name. There is no other name, no name by which we're saved. There is no other name, 
Lord Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. Every knee shall bow at his name. Every knee shall bow at his name. I was asked by a lot of people last night, where can I get one of these? I guess I could just tell you, go to the Mavericks game is the best I know. But I got something more important that I want you to get. I want you to get one of these. We got them at the tables. If you didn't get one when you came in, get one when you go out. I know it's a silly little thing, but it's a powerful reminder if you put it in the right place of who belongs in the right place. So get one of these ribbons. Some of you need to put this on the refrigerator. Some of you need to put this in the mirror. Some of you need to put this in your wallet. Some of you need to put this on your dashboard. It'll help with road rage. (laughs) But everyone, we have enough for everyone in your family to have one. Get one and put it somewhere as a simple reminder every single day that somebody's first. And it's not supposed to be me. I hope you'll be here Wednesday night for Jonathan's new series. If you would uh, like to be prayed over today with something going on that's big for you this new year, our prayer team is going to meet right down here on this side of the front corner of the auditorium. Uh, They'll be making their way, in fact, down right now, if you don't mind. And over on this side, you can meet with Charlie if you'd like to know more about becoming a part of this church. Bible classes are going to start in just a few moments. I hope you have a great week. I hope you remember it is through our unity... And it's through your priorities that we show the world what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Let's close by singing one more verse, Ryan.